0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to the Bulls Beat Bulls fans. Doug Tonus here with you discussing our Chicago Bulls and the Bulls are one day into free agency. And, you know, the Vooch move made before free agency, but we'll discuss that today, obviously, Then there is Kobe White coming back on what is a reasonable deal. And then there is Javon Carter, our new free agent signing. And I think, you know, I like that deal too. So, overall, from an execution standpoint, I'm going to give the Bulls two out of three. I liked what they did with Kobe, I liked what they did with Carter. I did not like what they did with Vooch, so if you just want a 30-second summary, you know, <laughs> that's it. That's the 30-second summary. But if you want a little bit more detail, then uh, hang on and listen. So first, let's break down the Nikola Vucevic extension. So it's three years, $60 million, $20 million per year. The deal is escalating. Uh, the salary cap is expected to escalate faster than the contract raises are for the next few years and for the, you know, I guess, length of this deal, at least. So it's going to be $18.5 million this year. It's going to go up 8% a year. And then generally speaking, the cap is expected to go up 10% a year. So as a percentage of cap, the, the deal will be roughly even, it, 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 just a, a smidge cheaper as a percentage of the cap you know, each of the next two years. You know, so I think when I look at this move, and I think when I, we look at the off-season as a whole, maybe we'll discuss the strategy later. Let's just discuss this particular move. Uh, a lot of this is in the eye of the beholder. So I look at Nikola Vucevic. I don't think he is a difference maker. I don't think he is above mid-level exception caliber player. I don't think there was any market for him whatsoever. If we weren't the ones who signed him, I don't think anyone else could have gotten him over the mid-level exception unless we did a sign and trade to help them out. And my preference was to try to do a sign and trade and get something back for Nikola Vucevic. So you know, in, in this sense, just bringing him back uh, at a deal above significantly above, we'll say even the middle of exception seemed like a miss to me. It seemed like poor asset management. It seemed like we were bidding against ourselves. And and I get people are gonna say things like, well, Nikola Vucevic would have been offended if you did this or that or whatever. And I think it's really easy to address the situation and say, look, based on where we are, we think you're worth thirteen million per year for three years. We're gonna give you 339 or 340. We'll just offer the Kobe deal as an ex- you get 340, a little bit above you know, the uh, mid-level exception for three years. And you know, Kobe had incentives. We don't even have to pull the incentives in Vooch's deal. We'll just say 340. Won't worry about player options. Won't worry about anything else. And say, you know what? But we understand, you know, this is, this is less money than what you've made. We understand if you feel you're worth more than this, we're willing to help you on a sign and trade. If someone else wants to pay you more than this, you know, like we, we get it you know, but this is just what we can do. We've got some other expensive extensions coming up with mar and like whatever, and this, this is what we can offer. And I think if you do that, and then Vooch goes and explores his market and finds out, wow, you know what, there really is no one willing to pay me more than this, then whatever offense he feels, he's got to come to Jesus with his own market value. I mean, you don't have to overpay a guy to protect him from himself, like his own inflated view of his self-worth. Like, you know, if, if Andre Drummond, when he came off his big deal, probably thought he was still worth $20 million a year or whatever, and no one was out there to offer it to him, and he had to accept the facts that, no, I'm worth this now. And Vooch is kind of in a very similar situation. The Bulls have not performed well when he's on the court. He's one of the worst plus-minus guys on the team for two years in a row, second-worst guy on the team. They play really badly. I've explained in great depth Some of the reasons why that's true, you're building your whole scheme around covering up for his weaknesses. He has no optionality on defense. You have to play drop coverage. He literally cannot do anything else. He doesn't draw fouls. He doesn't shoot threes efficiently. He doesn't really have legs of efficient offense. He is a good passer, but when you try and use him, you clog up a lot of time on the shot clock trying to get him set and move the ball around. It often yields really poor shots for other players. You have to build your whole roster around his weaknesses, and he's just not a good enough player to do that. And these are all reasons why I just I'm not like a big fan of having Vooch back on a big deal. Uh, now, a lot of people are upset about the third year, and I'll kind of say this: like, if you're not gonna re-roll this whole team next year with cap room, and I, I kind of put together a cap room plan, you know, where you could use your, your cap space to bring in a lot of deals or, or to facilitate other transactions or do other stuff, if you're not gonna do that, like, I don't know that the third year really matters. Like, Demar is expiring next year, so next year was the the time you could have leveraged all this space. Like if, if you're not going to make a plan to leverage all of that next year anyway, cause you went two years, like I, and, and you, you know, I just don't know that the third year is really going to be that big a difference maker. Yeah. I agree. The third year is likely bad money, but all three of these years are likely bad money based on my view of Vooch. And they're not ridiculously bad money on a percentage of cap basis. Like this is, it's a little worse than the Felicio signing. And, you know, from a, a cap perspective, obviously Vooch is a better player than Felicio, but like say it just becomes dead money. Say Ruch just loses one more step, and it just becomes unplayable defensively, and his offense just you know loses like a half step, and no longer can do whatever it Let's so just say like it happens in you know the second year of this deal. So say it plays out this year, kind of okay, and you just you get nothing in the next two years. Like okay, you know you're losing twenty million out of a hundred and yeah, it'd be like probably hundred forty million and a hundred and forty-five million cap or something like that. Like I just don't think that that's going to be that big a deal, like 15% of the cap. You, know, you, can, you can still work around that. It's not so bad of a thing. So I think really it's not even the years or the money. It's just a strategic direction. And then the fact that you just overvalued him. And then from a process perspective, you paid him way more than anyone else is going to pay him. It also came out that Vooch requested a bigger role as part of these negotiations. I mean, I'm not saying we agreed to that. I have no idea <laughs> where that went, but you know, he requested it. Um, so, you know, I just, I just think like, all right, uh, that's another thing. I just, I just don't see you want to give this guy a bigger role in your offense. Uh, If we do, I don't mind if it's in the low post, but we then have to become really efficient at feeding the low post and getting into that action quickly. You know, we can't like chew up tons and tons of clock time trying to get Vooch in the post. I do think in the modern NBA, there's room for that, though, because so many teams are going away from big post bodies. And like, you know, at some point in his career, Vooch probably didn't have massive advantages in the post all the time. But he's going to be guarded by a lot of small guys, and you can get switches on him, and you can get some pretty good action down there. So I've always been okay with Vooch in the post when you have a good matchup and when you have a good opportunity to get him a good look. I think those opportunities are fine. So I, you know, I'm not opposed to Vooch having a, much, a, a slightly bigger role. I think if the Bulls can get better at recognizing the mismatches and get him good opportunities, like that makes sense. But they've really struggled with that. And I don't think you want to like, build your offense around it. And Vuce actually gets a lot of post touches relative towards other centers and relative towards his ability there. So it's not like he's getting crazy low volume now. So, you know, whatever. I think it's like, yeah, maybe there's an opportunity to get a couple more touches there. But I don't think it's like, wow, we need to hit this like 15 more times a game. It, it takes a lot of time to get down the floor with a, a kind of like a slow plotting center. You know, you're getting eight seconds for him just to get set up in the post in most cases, maybe even more. And then it's going to take you two seconds to like get the good entry pass. And then maybe it takes a couple bounces, a couple more seconds comes off the clock. And if you have to feed out and then re-enter and whatever, you're now getting down to like six, seven, eight seconds left on the shot clock. And if you don't get something good out of that, you know, you don't have much time to generate something else. And it, it kind of creates a stagnant look to your offense too, and also crowds areas where DeMar might be effective. And so there's some downsides to this, even though you can get some good shots out of it. But anyway, we'll just see what happens with the offense. I don't know, you know how that's going to go. But my view on this is, is not so much that this deal is so terrible, or even that the third year is so terrible. It's more in the direction of where you're going, the process of bidding against yourself, you know, like just, just falling into a bunch of these traps that you just didn't have to fall into. And, you know, I'm going to say this now. This was the worst thing so far about the Bulls offseason. And it's not really that bad except, like I said, from a a strategic vision standpoint and from like a kind of falling into this theoretical fallacy standpoint of, well, we have to do this for this reason that isn't really true type thing. Those things are bad. But like the contract itself, it's not that bad. So, you know, I know you've you've probably seen some of my Twitter rants about it. Uh, My rants are more about the direction and the frustration that we're just – you know, just just scraping to get to the 7th, 8th seed. And there's not really a lot of upside, you know, with Vooch back on this roster. And with the whole roster in general. This isn't like a... That that thought is not a Vooch thought. It is a thought that is centered around Vooch now because he's the first guy you're making a decision on. The same thought is going to be valid next year when you're talking about whether you want to extend DeMar DeRozan. It's just that Vooch happened to come up for extension first. So, uh, we'll see. The one thing I'm excited about for Vooch is we can now at least distance ourselves from whatever we gave up to get him in the trade like this is now a new deal okay whatever the trade is done the trade was for the first two and a half years Vooch is now on a new deal here you know like just just focus on what Vooch does versus his 20 million dollars in in salary and not based on anything else anymore and I think fans can probably hopefully move past that including myself including myself all right so that's enough on Voochovich uh minor thing Andre Drummond opted in I, I like this for the Bulls you know, it's like a couple caveats he, there was a lot of uh, smoke that he was going to opt out and sign with Dallas. And I think he just realized, yeah, I'm going to sign with Dallas for the minimum salary. And, you know, I can make more than that with the bulls. So why am I going to do that? And just, just ended up opting in for slightly more than the minimum for him. So, you know, I think that that's fine. You know, the negative here is clearly it feels like no market materialized for Andre Drummond. Like no one else was like, wow, we got to get this guy, you know, for two, for the, you know, biannual exception or anything. Like he didn't have a market materialized above his 3.4 million opt-in. So, Clearly, we're, we're paying top dollar. That said, it's like a million over the minimum. And I don't think the way things have worked out, we would have been able to do anything extra with that million anyway. So I think it's kind of irrelevant uh, from our perspective. I like Drummond as a backup center. I know there's like flaws here. He turns the ball over a lot. He makes a lot of dumb Drummond plays. But it gives you a ton of extra possessions on rebounding. I think that generally uh, works out better and in our favor. The Bulls generally played well when he was on the floor you definitely need more than a big cup, one big body in Vooch at times. Like if Vooch say got hurt and missed 20 games, like I think that's totally reasonable that that could happen. You know, you're going to want a real center on the roster. <laughs> we don't have another one. So uh, I think that's good. It's a good, you know, worst case scenario. He's a solid backup center at basically the minimum. And you still probably want to bring in one more body, but I, I like that he opted in for us. The one caveat I'm going to have about like Drummond has just been letting himself go, and so I just wonder if that just gets a, like another phase worse this year, like he comes in another twenty pounds heavier uh, I don't think he's his conditioning is where it needs to be. I don't think his passion for the game is where it needs to be, and I think that's why he's kind of fallen into this boat that he has you know in terms of not being able to get a bird deal but given our roster construction, I think this this worked out well for us. It's not a move. I mean, this was entirely Drummond's decision, not our decisions. We had nothing to do with it, but I think it worked out well for us. Uh, Next thing, Kobe White extension was first reported as 333. I was super happy about that. Later got reported as 340. There's incentives. I don't know what the incentives are yet. Maybe they're out there somewhere, but I've not seen what they are yet. So I'm going to assume the incentives are likely to hit. I I mean, I don't know what they are, but I'm going to assume for the sake of argument, they're likely to hit. I think from a salary cap perspective, Unless the incentives are crazy, like make the all star game, the Bulls are going to assume those incentives are likely to hit as well. And they're going to plan their cap strategy around the fact that the Bulls are going to uh, hit those incentives. So we're going to use the deal as 340 from that perspective. I still like this move, Kobe at 13 million a year. I think it's solid. From a negotiation standpoint, I think it was solid. We offered him a little bit above the mid level exception. I don't think he was going to get. More than that, you know, on the open market, especially as a restrictive agent and especially given where the bidders were. But I do think he could have got an MLE deal. Uh, I think maybe offering this might have shaved one year off the commitment we have to him. I think he's been a good young player for the Bulls. He improved a lot last year. His stats were actually down, but you know, if you watched all the games, you, you felt like he got a lot better. His ball handling was tremendously better. His defense was up. So I, I like what Kobe did recently for Chicago. I think it's a solid signing. Again, If you're going with this win now plan, you know, kind of similar to Vooch, like I would have maybe just been content if we had a more holistic strategy around opening cap room that I described of letting Kobe go or signing trading him somewhere else and using that cap room to bring in lots of extra picks and then try to reset the the war chest and bring in a lot of assets and and load up on assets and create you know asset sustainability which I talked a lot about on the last show how you could create asset sustainability which I don't think we have we have the opposite I feel like we're we're constantly bleeding assets and trying to use what little we have to, to catch up you know it's like we're we're laying down the train tracks as the train is going you know instead of having built out all the tracks in advance and so I think that's just a tough situation to Manage from you know holistically for a long period of time, but in a vacuum, I really like this extension for the Bulls, especially when you look at what, other, what else happened on the market and the, the values of other players. I think Gobi represents a pretty good value, uh, relative to the rest of the free agent landscape. So, uh, a solid signing in terms of execution there. Then, now we get to our first new move, the first thing that actually changes about the team this year. And maybe one of the very few things that's going to change about this team uh, in terms of active rotation players. I know we got Julian Phillips uh, in the draft. But in terms of ac- active rotation players, you know, Javon Carter comes in. He's at 320. Uh, I think it's a really solid uh, a value for Javon Carter. That was below what John Hollinger had as his boards value, uh, which I think, you know, just shows, generally speaking, it was a good, a good deal and things worked out well um, and that, that sense. So I think this is very solid signing for the bulls. If you were going to pick out one guy that you thought the bulls could reasonably get, you know, while they brought back Kobe and Vooch and they, they, used almost all the money they had to do it. I think Javon Carter was probably about the best get you could have. So Carter is a good shooter. He's not a high volume vol, sorry, not a high volume shooter, but he's, he's an accurate shooter did really well with the Bucs. Got a lot of open shots there, I'm sure, because of Giannis. But the Bulls have generated a lot of open shots for their guards, too. You know, when Lonzo was here, he was getting a ton of shots. So I think people will say, like, well, maybe he's not so good and he was just open a lot. Our guards are open a lot. <laughs> they are. With Zach and Damar and Bruch, our guards get a lot of open opportunities. So I think, I think that'll be fine. I don't think that's going to you know, be a big drop-off or problem for him. So I think this was, it was a really solid signing. Great point of attack defender. Great defensive player. Going to bring a lot of the defense and shooting that Lonzo brought, a little bit less volume in terms of shooting than Lonzo, and he's not going to give you the passing or the fast break or the ball handling that Lonzo did. But if you view him as like a prime Pat Beverly, maybe with a little bit less ball handling and passing, you know, instead of kind of like washed up Pat Beverly. And we saw how much washed up Pat Beverly helped us last year. So I think this is good. I think, this is, I think he's really going to help the Bulls is about the best player we could have gotten. So again, really like the execution. I like the contract, good value. I think this was a nice move, uh, you know, for the front office this year. So you know, I like the Kobe extension. I like this one. The Vooch one, like I said, I just mostly process stuff I'm upset about more so than the extension itself. And, you know, maybe with Carter, same thing. It's, again, you know, the the Bulls are going all in. on being like the seventh, eighth seed. I think Carter is a perfect fit, but it's like, Is he going to add five wins, six wins? Like, I I don't really think that that's true. Uh, I guess we'll go back to the draft. I I just realized I had not done a podcast since the draft. So the Bulls obviously didn't have a pick. They traded two second rounders. It ended up being their own 26 and 27 second rounders for Julian Phillips. And I think that's really, I think it's fine. Like from a value perspective, getting a pick that was 35, you know, in a second round, and you're giving up two future second rounders. I think that is uh, totally normal. Actually, you know what? I take it back. I did do a draft podcast. I did talk about Julian Phillips. All right. Well, either way, I'm going to just say it again. I think it was fine. The, the trade is now finalized. It's our 26 and 27 second rounders. You know, a pick in the second round of around 35 is generally a lot more valuable than a pick in the 40s or whatever. So if the Bulls are a solid team in 26 and 27, say they're just still a 41-win team in those years, then I think you know, like in our pick is a 45, then I think trading two future 45s for 35 is good value. It worked out fine. So anyway, uh, I'm a fan of that move uh, as well. Still, yeah, I think, think that works out okay. So now what did the Bulls do with the rest of the roster? I don't want to spend too much time digging into this because by the time you listen to it, there's a fair chance it'll be over. There's a fair chance it'll be over before I even post this. Uh, just because free agency moves so quickly and I'm recording on Saturday morning, the day after free agency opened but here's generally where the Bulls sit uh, salary-wise. They have Io DeSumo right now on a uh, $5.2 million qualifying offer. Uh, I'm going to assume for the moment that they're willing to go with 14 players instead of 15 players, which is you know up in the air. I mean, who knows? I'm assuming that Kobe White, his contract we're going to count at the $40 million level and Javon Carter, uh, you know, his deal, that they're both escalating contracts so that we have as much cap room left in this year as possible. I'm going to assume that Julian Phillips is going to sign for the uh, rookie minimum, uh, the second-round rookie minimum, which is about half of the vet minimum. And you know, if we do that, Carly Jones is basically at the, the vet minimum. a shade of savings there if we keep him. So anyway, looking at all of that, uh, we basically can have about $6 million if we let Io go and renounce his qualifying offer. Now, we could still keep Io. We'd just have to agree to a contract, and we'd no longer have matching rights. So we could still keep him, like, at a minimum deal or something like that. We'd have about $6 million left. So we have, uh, you know, we have basically the roster as it sits today would be Vooch, DeMar, Lonzo, Zach, Caruso, Pat, Kobe, Dalen, Drummond, Carlique Jones, Julian Phillips, uh, Javon Carter... And that ends up being twelve players. So we have like one vet minimum roster hold I have here. I have IO. Assume it was qualifying offer, and those would be the last two spots. Now we have a little bit of room to to go above above this if we keep um, if we keep IO. We can we can still sign someone. Uh, let me do my quick calculations to about uh, four point nine million if we do fourteen or sorry, 14 players, and we keep IO at 5.2, and we sign someone else at 4.9, we would have enough room to barely skate under the tax. Now, you can do 14 players. You only get two 2A contracts in it instead of three 2A contracts. I don't think that's any kind of deal breaker. Uh, the numbers are super close. The one thing is because IO is restricted, though, if we sign someone to say that 4.9 min exa- amount exactly – And then someone just says, oh, well, we're going to offer Io 5.5 million, and that pushes the bulls into the tax. We know they're not going to match. You know, it does create a risk point for Io to leave. I also don't think there's not a lot left out there for us to sign to, like, use as extra money. So I'm going to talk about what other moves we could make going uh, into the thing. I just read off the roster, and, you know, the way I would look at the roster is for legit big men, you basically have Nikola Vucevic and Andre Drummond. A, B, you want to count Julian Phillips in in that mix? Like, I mean, I think he's a legit big man, but like counting on a second rounder to to play rotation minutes seems like a real stretch to me. And then you've got Patrick Williams, who's probably a legit four in today's NBA, but, you know, like maybe a teeny bit on the small side, but it's not like there's tons of huge fours anymore. So uh, maybe you count Williams. Like, I think you need to fill in the roster with people who are going to play a power forward or power forward center. I think you need at least one more like real big body and then maybe one more three, four combo player with those two roster spots. And that also puts some press on Io DeSumo. Now we could let Carlique Jones go and then bring back uh, DeSumo, which I think would not be a problem or a challenge at all for the Bulls to do that. So I think, I think DeSumo is maybe in a rough spot for a roster spot, just based on the roster composition. But I, I guess I would say I would, I would get rid of Carly Jones and, and, and bring to Sumu So I think he still has a, a pretty good shot of coming back, assuming he doesn't get an offer. And then you could use your last two spots to bring in kind of the guys I said. Even then, I think we're a little bit guard heavy. And so looking at, like, who's left available, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty thin list. And one of the things that I thought was funny, I went to Hollinger's boards list to see, like, okay, value-wise, who does he have left as the best for agents? And you know who hilariously were the best two guys left for the money? Javante Green and Derek Jones Jr., <laughs> the two guys that we had. So uh, I was like, wow, that's pretty crazy. Uh, Torrey Craig was the other guy that kind of came to mind to me that maybe fits. The, maybe the downside with Craig is you have to wonder if his shooting is like really legit. He had, had like a pretty nice shooting year last year uh, for the Phoenix Suns. And, you know, you kind of wonder like how, how much you could count on him to replicate that. You know, maybe the downside there is the Suns clearly didn't believe in him. Like they just went out and got everyone else that they could. Uh, But you know, he shot nearly forty percent on three attempts a game. Kind of could be that three-four tweener guy, a good defender, and so maybe has some potential as a low-volume three-and-D player. You know, kind of like in a Pat Williams type of role. So Torrey Craig is—he's—he's a guy that I would—I would be interested in the Bulls getting. And then I think probably. I mean, like, I, I hate to say it in a way. I'd love to bring back here. You've probably heard me talk about him and, and say, like, I think he was a lot better than we played him. I think he should have played a lot more minutes. I think he's a lot better than the opportunity we gave him. But I just don't know, like, if Billy Donovan doesn't believe in him and, and isn't going to play him, then I'm not sure how much value that has, right? Like, we, we had the opportunity to use him a lot more, and we chose not to. But I think he's a really good defender. I think he can defend the four well. I think he's, he's athletic enough and good enough of a shot blocker that he can even sometimes defend the five well. I think he fits next to Vucevic as a guy who can provide some, you know, weak side help defense. You know, the only, only problem is not much of a shooter, but, you know, whatever. Like, I, I just don't think with the money we have left, you're going to find a guy who can defend and shoot and be big and whatever. Like, even getting just a big shooter might be tough. Torrey Craig might actually be the best option on the market there. Like I said, the only problem is... He's like thirty-four point seven percent career from three. You know, he's like thirty-nine and a half percent last year. It wasn't high volume. Um so you just you're just gambling that that really is legit and not not a flash in the pan. And as I said, the Suns didn't want to take that gamble and they got a lot of experience with him. So uh I'd say that's a little bit uh, dicey there. But I would still uh be willing to bring in Greg with given the amount of money we have to spend. I just I don't don't know that you're gonna find a better option. So if we are going to follow the Acme strategy, which I've said lots of times, I'm totally against, then Tory Craig would probably be the best guy left I can think of. Tory Craig and Derek Jones, Jr. actually, uh, to close out the last two roster spots, bring back IO, uh, let go uh, Car- uh, Carlick Jones. I think that would probably be what I would view as the best way to finish off this offseason, and, and probably about the best I could see this off-season going. Like, I think from an execution standpoint, if you did all of that, I'd feel really positive about this offseason in terms of how it was executed. I feel really bad about the strategic vision. I feel really bad about the Bulls' future. I feel really bad about our ability to do anything else. And, and you know why that is? Is because next year, like, the, the apron is coming and the tax is coming. Like, you're going to have to figure out a way to extend DeMar and you know, I don't know what you think you're going to extend DeMar at. Like, that's a real question. Does he have a market? Are teams going to be willing to bid on him? Are you going to be able to keep him at the same price? Because his productivity, if it remains the same, say, if he does give you another all-star level season, I think if he gives you three all-star seasons in a row and you think you're going to get him for like $28 million again, you again, you just might be surprised how that conversation goes. Like, it, it just might not go as well as you think it does. Or you're going to have to lock into like a lot of years again. And then you're, you're kind of stuck. We're like, OK, yeah, this worked. But like, how long is this going to work? And, you know, in the end, uh, the grand bigger problem is like all of this is to solidify like a 7-8 seed. You know, you look at what Cleveland did, and I feel like in Philly is a little bit up in the air now. So I feel like Cleveland is definitely ahead of us. Boston is definitely ahead of us. Milwaukee is definitely ahead of us. Philly, given whatever is going on with Harden, hard to say, but I'd say they're still definitely ahead of us. And, you know, so like those four teams, so like our cap is kind of like five. And then you start looking at like teams that are up and coming or teams that still have stuff like the Hawks, the Magic, like could easily catch us and pass us. The Miami Heat, you feel like they're maybe in a tough spot because of how free agency has panned out for them. Uh, There's some rumors they still may end up with Damian Lillard, but, Miami, I'm going to say, is ahead of us. The Knicks are probably still ahead of us. And so it's like you're, you're kind of like you got four teams solidly ahead of you. You've got probably two or three, two, maybe two teams that are probably ahead of you, like teams like Miami and New York, probably ahead of you. And then you've got like a group of teams that are like in your tier that might or might not be ahead of you. And so it's like your best, best, best case scenario is probably be five and be a pretty big underdog in that series your realistic best-case scenario, like if you're saying, like, "Yeah, this is probably as good as it's going to get, is probably, like, 6. And probably your realistic scenario is, like, 7, 8. And, you know, it's like, and then you're still kind of at this point where it's like, it's not likely getting a lot better unless we get some real surprise performance. And there's no way you're going to be able to stand at attacks next year and keep the same group together. If you have to extend Patrick Williams and Demar Derozan, and those guys both have good seasons, and so it's like we've laid down the tracks in front of us for one more year to be like a first-round exit type team, um, you know, assuming we don't have major injuries, like a first-time first-round exit type team, and that's like a pretty low ceiling, and you know, but we're still just laying down tracks as the train's going 100 miles an hour and. We're like gonna be at the end of the tracks next year again. And then now it's like, well, Boots, you're gonna get even less. Like, you could have traded on him earlier for more. DeRozan's gonna be a free agent, so you're not gonna be able to get anything for him. You know, Zach Levine, hard to say. Like, Zach could, could increase or decrease his trade value. It didn't seem like he had tremendous trade value. Like, we were bouncing around ideas. I guess maybe, uh, maybe to qualify everything I said, if the Bulls can get Lonzo off the books, I should just, I should just erase the last 10 minutes. If the Bulls can get Lonzo off the books, and I've talked about medical retirement, that should prevent them from being in a tax. And I think that's why they won't apply for the disabled player exception. You got to get Lonzo off the books. And if Lonzo is, you're two years in and Lonzo isn't playing, then I think you just got to let him go. Now, the risk for the Bulls is they can get him off the books, but they still have to sort of quasi plan that he might come back on because if they get him off the books and then he, actually is able to play next year, his money gets thrown back on the books. Um, so there's like some risk there. It's not like it's entirely riskless uh, for the Bulls to do that. So we'll see. we'll see how all of those things pan out. But like I said, the, the problem is we're just trying to lay down tracks in front of this train going 100 miles an hour and the destination is just first round exit. We're like, we're scrambling and scrambling and scrambling to remain a first round exit caliber team. And it's just like, isn't the kind of vision that I would want to see. Um, but enough with the negativity, like I said, if given that we were trying to do a win now plan and improve the team now plan, I don't think you could have hoped for anything reasonably better this off season. If you were like me and you're hoping for major changes, uh, that didn't happen, but given their strategy of trying to make iterative improvements to the roster, I think this was about as good as you could have reasonably done. So, you know, a a D minus on vision, but I, you know, I'd have to give them an, an A on execution, maybe a yeah, maybe a B plus on execution. I think the Vooch execution was could have been handled better, but generally this was about as good as you could have expected execution wise uh, for this team. We didn't hand out any like you know, super crazy deals. We got good value on on most of our deals. Nothing we did is going to be exceptionally painful. Even the Vooch one, it's not going to be exceptionally painful. So uh, yeah, that's about it for this edition of the Bulls Beat. Uh, might hit up with a quick episode whenever free agency ends and we do our other stuff. Otherwise, yeah, about a week.